This episode contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Here's the thing about fame. It gives you carte blanche. Fame equals money equals access equals freedom. Freedom to do pretty much anything you want. Sounds great, right? This interdisciplinary zeal has produced some extraordinary moments of art and culture. Think American Idol star Jennifer Hudson in Dreamgirls. Artist Childish Gambino creating TV hit Atlanta. Mariah Carey in Glitter. Yes, it was a moment. Even Lady Gaga reached new heights as an actor, shedding her hyper-real pop sovereignty to give a naturalistic tour de force in A Star is Born. But a blank check can be a dangerous thing. You could attempt to cash in too much, and then it all goes horribly wrong. Sometimes, sticking to what you know may be for the best, and having insulted a whole section of society with her directorial debut and handled the fallout appallingly, nobody should heed this advice more than Sia. Welcome to Cancelled. I'm your host, Cam, and this is the show where we look back at some of the biggest and most bizarre attempts to cancel people, corporations, and even countries. You may think the subjects of our very rigorous and academic study deserve public disdain. You may think it's all a gross injustice, but it doesn't matter because all of them were judged in the court of public opinion and ultimately canceled. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Sia Furler, or simply Sia, an unremitting superstar. Her music is elevated at this point to an almost legendary level. She has delivered anthem after anthem as a singer, a songwriter, and performer. She is that rare breed of musician where talent and aesthetic marry to create a unique iconicity. For Sia, her thumping euphoric pop tracks and ballads have become synonymous with her image, her decision to hide her face an enigma, known and yet unknowable. So how did a star so revered manage to hit the road to cancellation? Well, it's an age-old story. She tries something new, it doesn't work, and instead of retreating and apologizing, she digs her heels in just as the ground begins to move beneath her. This is the story of music. But hold your horses. We need to know a bit more before we get there. It's 2010. Sia has enjoyed a creative and sustained career over four albums. Like most great artists, she's a slow burner. Her success has been muted and as has her fame. As a singer, she's been acclaimed in her native Australia, though an international breakthrough as a performer in her own right still eludes her. But things are starting to change. Her fifth studio album, We Are Born, is well-received, and whilst not quite an earthquake on the global music scene, it brings a degree of notability hitherto unfamiliar to her. It's spoken about a lot, but fame is damaging. 
Especially in the music industry, it has long been the case that proper protections have been abandoned in favor of extreme monetization of a human being. Person becomes brand and somehow becomes less human. It's why so many teen stars encounter personal difficulties. It's why the 27 Club is a thing. But what happens when you've had a taste of a normal life, have enjoyed a creative career whilst maintaining anonymity, and then at the age of 34 find that changing? And for Sia, it's shattering. Later, in an interview with the New York Times, she will recount how she yearned for a private life, how a friend telling her she had cancer was interrupted by a fan asking for a selfie. She spirals, using drugs and alcohol to get through tours, and even contemplating suicide. It's a tragic but obvious effect of losing ownership over your life. Two things then happen that set the course for Sia's subsequent Goliath success. She begins to mask on stage, refusing to do promos for her shows and cloistering herself in a cultivated anonymity for protection, recreating her whole image in service of privacy, so much so that she becomes a fascination. And then she quits as a recording artist altogether. With the help of her new manager, she segues into a songwriting career, and this is where everything changes. In 2011, she writes a song for Alicia Keys called Titanium. In one of those music industry stories that has entered the mythology, it instead finds its way to David Guetta, who releases the demo track with Sia's vocals. <laughs> one year after quitting as a recording artist, Sia skyrockets to global success, and is by accident. Titanium peaks in the top 10 in North America, Australia, and across Europe. It's a resounding summer anthem that year, but she takes no pleasure in it. Quote, I never even knew it was going to happen, and I was really upset, she would later say. Because I had just retired, I was trying to be a pop songwriter, not an artist. End quote. But the path is set. Within three years, Sia, fame-averse and fiercely protective of ownership over her creative output, will reach the highest echelons of the global music industry. She'll soar. But with highs come inevitable lows. At around about the same time, another, albeit less organic, spectacle was taking place. Dance Moms, a reality television show focused on young dancers in training and their dysfunctional, stereotypically pushy mothers, debuts in the States in 2011, with notorious teacher Abby Lee Miller at the helm. In the tradition of reality shows in the late 2000s and early 2010s, it finds an audience who rejoices in its hyper-realistic savagery and excess. Miller's young protégés seem positively adult when compared with the people surrounding them, who seem intent on pushing them to the brink in a quest for fame and fortune. It might be inspirational if they weren't in the under 10s category. It is a format that hasn't aged well, and looking back on it now, it seems preposterous that some episodes even made it to air. The whiff of exploitation is strong, and it is in this environment that a young dancer of prodigious skill breaks through. Maddie Ziegler, eight years old at the outset of the show, becomes, as New York Magazine describes, the preternaturally polished standout and is noticed by Sia herself, who plucks her out to star in the music video for her 2014 electro-pop banger, Chandelier. Sia and Maddie collaborate pretty consistently from this moment onwards. As Sia's career skyrockets, Maddie is never far behind. She becomes the face of Sia's music videos in lieu of the singer herself. 
face still covered, identity concealed, the young dancer acts as something of a conduit for Sia's artistic vision, and the results are pretty astounding. The communion of Sia's music, at once poppy but lyrical, with Maddie's delivery of abstract and complex choreography, creates artistic works of genius and catapults Ziegler to stardom. The relationship between the two garners some attention. As their professional relationship grows, so does public interest. Sia gives various interviews, describing her maternal connection to her young dancer, describing her love as similar to a firstborn child. Sia is named as Ziegler's godmother and thanks Maddie's mother for sharing her with the singer. She openly states that she has no desire to do any projects without the young dancer. Well, public opinion is split. Some fans regard this as a natural, loving relationship between two exceptional artists, while others question the extent to which Sia exerts control over Ziegler's career. The singer admits that she sees her job as Maddie's protector and is committed to creating projects for the young dancer to work on, ostensibly to keep her safe in an industry that Sia knows all too well can eat you alive. But questions arise around how much agency Maddie actually has in this arrangement. Similar questions to when she was the unassuming star of Dance Moms at the outset of her career. It's an interesting dynamic. Sia, who rebounded from addiction to launch a worldwide career almost by accident, has in turn elevated a young girl to similar heights and feels it is her duty to keep her safe. But where did these lines blur? And who is the arbiter of a safety that nobody can guarantee? Questions of agency are impossible to avoid. Maddie, from reality TV fame as a preteen to collaborating with a global superstar before she's legal to drive, is set on a course she has no real control over. Sia knows what that feels like, and yet she allows it to happen. It's yet another contradiction from the woman who keeps her face and her cards hidden. The Chandelier video, Maddie's Sia debut, if you will, is a resounding success. It's followed by a live performance at the Grammys that goes viral, and the process of shooting is described by Sia as one of the happiest days of her life. Buoyed by the acclaim, Sia announces her directorial debut in 2015 with Ziegler as the star. By 2017, with Maddie just being 14 years old, the film, based on a short story Sia jotted down on a whim a decade prior, is shot, but it would be another three years for the editing process to be complete. Sia, the perfectionist, is forensic. Music, eponymously named after Ziegler's character, depicts a recently recovered drug dealer, played by Kate Hudson, who finds herself as the sole legal guardian of her nonverbal autistic half-sister. A teaser trailer is released mid-2020, and this is where it starts. Irish director Bruno Waugh responds on Twitter to ask why the main character isn't played by an autistic actor. Quote, It's pretty offensive the way you've chosen to portray this character. People with disabilities are not broken and don't need fixing. End quote. From this moment, the backlash is immense. Twitter, as ever the engine of cancel culture, whirs into gear and the onslaught is immediate. There are thousands of responses from members of the autistic community and those close to it who see Ziegler's performance as an example of cripping up infantilizing the community and denying the opportunity to an autistic performer. 
It comes amid a wider conversation about casting in a narrow industry, about how accessibility and diversity, and about more pressingly than ever, the ethics of the rich and famous and who they choose to represent. Sia at best seems insensitive, at worst, deliberately offensive. Accusations rip through the internet. She hasn't done enough research on the topic. Ziegler's excessively heightened performance is unrealistic. In particular, one scene depicting the use of restraints is seen to be inaccurate and archaic. All this based on a teaser trailer. The film is still months away from release. Sia's tone varies in her responses. With one, she seems thoughtful and empathetic, considered and nuanced. With the next, her tone is angry and dismissive. She claims that she tried casting various neurodivergent actors, including a nonverbal girl who found the experience stressful and that Sia herself deemed this dynamic to be cruel. She points to the response of the Child Mind Institute, which gives the film a 100% approval rating and says that the character is based on a personal friend who is nonverbal. But it doesn't wash. Activists call her out, disregarding her so-called executive decision. Quote, Did you do any research or consult the community at all? It's very condescending to say it would be cruel to consult a disabled actor, questions one. Sia responds abruptly, saying, Duh, I spent three fucking years researching. I think that's why I'm so fucking bummed. Before encouraging audiences to wait until the movie was released to pass judgment. Then it deteriorates and Sia, seemingly averse to criticism, shoots back. An autistic actor tweets her directly, suggesting that she would have been available to shoot at short notice. The terse exchange ends with Sia, world-renowned musician, tweeting, Maybe you're just a bad actor. It is, to be fair and balanced, pathetic. So at this point, it's easy to see where this is headed. Most cancellations follow the same pattern. Celebrity does something, maybe badly judged, maybe downright outrageous, Twitter explodes. They're canceled definitively by the social media echo chamber, and then the jury combs over the career of said celebrity to find evidence of a history of problematic behavior that has led directly to this moment. The evidence is methodically stacked up against Sia. Critics recall with a fervid, if not satisfied, outrage how she unquestioningly defended Johnny Depp during his domestic abuse scandal. They signpost the internet to a tweet from 2014 when Sia asks her followers for ideas to punish a tiny dry cleaners in Queens who apparently ruined her favorite outfit. And of course, questions around her relationship with Maddie Ziegler erupt into screams, accusations of an unethical power dynamic, and even allegations of obsession. Caught in the crossfire is Maddie herself, now 17 as the movie prepares for release, who is questioned intensely on her perception of how the movie is being received and whether she agrees with the criticisms. Sia, Maddie's designated protector, has failed her and exposed her to the kind of media interrogation that undoubtedly no teenage girl should have to endure. Rumors abound of Maddie being uncomfortable on set, crying on the first day, and being scared that people, the autistic community, might think she was making fun of them. It's a haystack near a gas station. The famously masked singer had flown too close to the sun, and in stretching her artistic license to offer us more, 
she made crucial missteps. But she has defenders too. The National Council of Severe Autism described the outcry as an attack on Sia by a vocal, unhinged minority. And her many fans, ardent online in their support of her, note, perhaps fairly, that judgment had been passed months prior to the film being shown. Music is eventually released, and if Sia was hoping for a post-release rebound, she was disappointed. The reception was disastrous. Critics hated it, calling it cringeworthy and baffling. For Sia, who holds identity and safety so close to her work, it has to be asked, what was she thinking? Of course, casting a non-autistic girl in an autistic role in the 2020s is problematic, and surely she knew that. So much of Sia's artistry lies in her contradictions. She is intent on protecting her integrity, so she hides her face, but is happy to elevate a young girl whom she apparently loves like family to superstardom, a level of fame she struggled to handle herself. She seeks to use her platform she claims never to have wanted, but is unable or unwilling to handle criticism. She is at once conciliatory and incendiary, empathetic and dismissive. Who knows if this cancellation will last? Some are permanent, some are fleeting. Sia may release an electro-pop summer track post-COVID and people will forget about her misguided foray into music in favor of her actual music. But wider questions need to be answered. Sia is the face of this film, but behind her, a network of executives, producers, agents, and publicists allowed this to happen. Who protects whom? Who answers to and for whom? And who let her take the bulk of criticism out there on her own? And what about Maddie? Sia has appointed herself a protector, but the idea that she alone can protect a young girl from the excesses of the social media age is fiction. I can't help but recall the story in the New York Times that Sia never really wanted this level of stardom, but now she has it. Stardom isn't autonomous or individual. It's attached to a system that regularly makes mistakes, but is never held accountable. It is easier to cancel a notable than cancel the people that stand behind them and allow them to make mistakes. But perhaps the resounding lesson of this whole experience is that it's the people who write the blank checks that should be held to a standard, as opposed to those who cash them. But no one's ever really canceled, are they? This episode was written by Anton Ferry. This is a Broccoli Production. <laughs>